I get the opportunity today to start a brand new series. And it's going it, to, I really get excited about when we have those moments where we get started in a new subject and investigate what the Bible says. And, you know, this month, for the month of November, when you have a holiday like Thanksgiving, and we know that Thanksgiving can be a part of worship, I thought, well, man, this would really go well for us to investigate what the Bible says about worship and how to come to an understanding of what worship is and maybe what it's not or not just. You know, worship is not just songs. You know, worship is not just clapping your hands or waving a flag or dancing. But those things can be a display of worship. And so I thought for us today, as we get started, and what happens when we talk about a new subject, a lot of the times, especially the first sermon, I've really got to do something that is out of my wheelhouse. I have to do a lot more teaching than preaching. And I always find a little piece in there in my outline to do a little bit of preaching because that's my home run cut. That's, that's my go-to. But sometimes you need more information than inspiration. And sometimes we have to go past just the feelings that you feel and really establish the authority of God's Word in your life. So with that said today, I'm not going to read a text or tell a story. And in, in, I'm going to read a lot of the Bible. I'm going to quote a lot of the Bible during the, the uh, outline. So with that said, will you please pray for me right now that I might walk in, and teach in an anointing um, that is unfamiliar with me because I'd really like to go and just preach all of this. So let's pray together. Father, today I thank you for another moment to share your word. I thank you for the vulnerability of absolutely understanding that for this to be effective, it's going to have to come through your anointing. So, Father, I stand here humbly before a congregation and ask for you to supernaturally anoint me with a gifting that, Father, that allows me to teach as much as preach. And that, Father, that the Word of God could be planted into our congregation's hearts. That, Father, that it moves past just an emotional feeling, moves past just an inspiration, but becomes revelation through the authority of Scripture. And I give you the praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Well, most of the time you want to start an outline with something positive. You don't want to just say, this is what you can't do or this is what it's not. So let's ask ourselves, worship is... Worship is, in the simplest form of definition, an inner response accompanied by an outward expression. Now, a lot of times we want to immediately, when we tackle this subject of worship, we want to talk about styles and genres and, and music and whether it's exuberant or whether it's contemplative. But let's start about what goes on inside of you that has to be manifested in something you do that is visible, not just invisible. I say all the time when I'm, I'm praying or preaching, I say worship is not a spectator sport. And one of the th reasons I say that is because in the Western world and the culture of comfort in which we many of us have been born into and afforded by the liberties that we have in this country to worship freely without persecution, then a lot of times we want to, to uh, decide, you know, well, well, what is appropriate worship? And, and when we are blessed in, in coming from the position of comfort, a lot of times the church has made mistakes by paying people and living vicariously through the people on the stage. 
See, I do not want you to live vicariously through me. See, I am going to come and shepherd you. I'm going to try to pastor you. I'm going to love you and do my best to do that unconditionally. That's a challenge sometimes. <laughs> but I certainly don't want to be your only source of revelation. I certainly don't want to tell you because a lot of times we take the person that is preaching and we want to find out, well, what did you hear or see or experience with God this week? Why don't you just come back and tell us about him? And I don't think that's the job of a pastor. See, I think I should be more confirmation than revelation. See, when I'm talking about God whispering my name in moments of prayer, it should become confirmation of reminding you that God is so great and so big that he can whisper to pastor simultaneously as he's whispering to you whether, where you are finding intimacy and in worship. See, it is in those moments where we understand you can't have worship with just an inner response. You can't do it. Because the Bible says this, you have to have them both. Inner response, outer expression. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. He's talking about people that say the right things. They, they know the motions. They know when to clap. They know when to sing. But their heart is absent. See, you say, well, pastor, I'm just one of those people that always is very reserved. And I am more contemplative than expressive. Try that with your wife or husband. Try just to tell them the only time that you love them is when you got married. And then don't display any of that characteristic of what's going on on the inside of you on the outside. I promise you, you'll end up in my office. And if you don't come to my office, you'll be right over here at the Lee County Courthouse. <laughs> See, that's the importance of worship. It is to have this inner response. And, and a lot of times in those moments of preaching where I'm getting passionate, I tell you, worship is not a spectator sport. Your evaluation of worship should be determined when you get in the car. What did I do today to express my love to the one that is the creator of the universe? And if all you can list is I watched somebody else, they worshiped for you. And so you say, well, pastor, what does worship really come to as a factual display. First fact is it has to be first priority. This is one of the incredible things that I love about my staff and I tell you all the time, not just graciously, it's factual that they preach and teach a lot better than I do. And I am just lo loving what they see when it comes to the kingdom of God. So if you've ever been through CORE, and if you haven't, we're starting a new series in CORE in January, you'll want to know some of the spiritual DNA of our church. And the person that is creating the curriculum for CORE teaches this when she comes to the place of worship. And she says this, so I don't want you to think, man, that's revelation. Let me tweet this out. No, you'd have to tweet that somebody else wrote it, and I just quoted her. And this is the amazing thing about it. When did God create mankind? What day? Anybody? There's only seven, so take a stab. I'll tell you higher or lower. Six day. Six day God created man. But what happened on the seventh? 
he rested. But when he rested, it's called Sabbath. God was not tired. He was setting a principle. And the principle that he was setting is that I've assigned for you two things, purpose and presence. And so many times we try to earn God's affection and his affirmation by what we do. But he never, because what he was supposed to do was tend to the garden. But do you realize on God's seventh day was mankind's first day? And he said, I am going to establish a principle before you find affirmation in what you're doing. I want you to spend time in my presence on Sabbath at rest with me and you in fellowship that allows your affirmation to come through a presence instead of just purpose. Now you need them both. Because faith without works is dead. I'm going to get to that later in the outline. But a lot of times we want to talk about what we're doing for God. And some of my greatest discipline in, in the spiritual world is when I get so focused on being your pastor instead of his son. And I'll come into his presence, you know, kind of nonchalantly forgetting who I'm talking to and wanting what is the next sermon so I can write it, outline it, send it to the people. That, and he's like, wait, wait a minute, man. I'm not a sermon factory. I'm the God of the universe. And I want you to take note that you're in my presence. And I don't care about your titles. He asked me one, one year to give away all titles. That's been the greatest fast of my life. Is when you give away everything that you've wrapped your identity up in. And you realize that it's not what you do that identifies you. It's whose you are. So God's seventh day, man's first day, he wanted fellowship and presence and worship. Worship according to God is exclusive. Touch your neighbor and look them right in the eye and say, He is exclusive. And this is tough for us because this is where the, the, the teaching gets a little bit bumpy, a little turbulence, because we expect God to be like the people we date. And until we make a committed commitment, then we're allowed to date several different people. Like you can go to the movies on Tuesday with whomever and go to the movies on Friday with somebody else when you are just dating. But once you've decided to become committed, there's some expectations like you can't go to movies with other people. Well, that's what God establishes about worship. Is he says, I got to be the only one you worship because I won't share you and your heart with anybody else. Listen to the text in Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 through 3. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. He reiterates this in Exodus 24 and 5. Thou shalt, not, thou shalt not make yourself a carved image or any likeness or of anything that is as in heaven above or in the earth beneath that is in the water or under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I am the Lord your God am a jealous God. Now that's pretty straightforward that he wants to have an exclusive relationship with you when it comes to worship. Now many of us will dismiss this whole thing because we don't have a lot of idols sitting on our mantles because we don't have objects that we've created with our hands but God wants us to move a little further than just the primitive way of idolatry. What shares your heart with him? 
Who has your gaze? What has your gaze? There's a difference between being a fan and being a worshiper. And a lot of times we get more motivated for the things that are external and the things that we can see and feel and touch than we do. You know, you got guys today. Now, I'm a sports fan. I'm not a sports worshiper, but I am a sports fan. And I've gotten a little crazy from time to time. But today, you're going to have people stand out in the real... It's now, this is like the first weekend of real winter. And they're going to paint their bodies the colors of their teams and get out in about 30 to 20 to 30 degree weather and without a shirt declare their loyalty for their team. But sometimes when it rains, we can't even make it to church. That's what we're talking about when something else has your gaze. I'm not being judgmental. And I know some of you are restricted with mobility. And I'm not asking you to get soaking wet. I'm just asking you, where's your heart? Because when I said I do to Michelle, she wanted exclusive relationship. And I'm going to share with you. Now, God requires him to be your number one priority. So in my life, personally, God is number one. And this is going to sound so strange to... To, to some of you, and, and I may even get an email or two. I'm okay. I, after five years, I've got I figure out why these microphones just <laughs> dismiss themselves for like two minutes every Sunday downtown. Matt is at his wits end. We've done everything. Hardwired, amplified. It's not his fault. It's this space. <laughs> God's not my number one priority. My number two priority is Michelle. Not family. Michelle. After Michelle is my boys. You say, well, pastor, how can you love your wife more than you love your boys? I didn't say I loved them more. I love all of them with all of my heart. I love them differently. See, if I love God with all of my heart and He becomes my object of gaze and affection and worship, then He teaches me in His presence how to be a godly husband and to adore and have the gaze of my wife and allows me to now display a healthy home to the eyes of my children that at 31 and uh, going to be 31 and 28 next month, both of them have said, Dad, if we can have half the marriage you and Mom have, that's not because we do spec spectacular things. It's because I have the discipline to spend time with God and then spend time with my wife and she will not share. She is willing to submit to God being my number one priority but then she must be my number two priority and then my children, then my family and then you guys and everything that I do. So when I say God is exclusive, when we worship, He wants to be our number one one priority. Worship is supremely satisfying. Listen to what scripture says in Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My 
soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul shall be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Now look at that and then think of your friends and culture where church has become boring. Like it's something that we do. You know the average regular attender in America right now is two Sundays a month. That's the average attendance. One Sunday a month is considered faithful Christianity. If you come to four services, you're considered radical. Yeah, two Sundays a month. Because we've bought in that God is not supremely satisfying. We've been convinced that God, you can have God, but He's supposed to be an accessory that, that possesses this part of your life, and that's your Sunday life, and then everything else, you know, you should have some fun doing. Do you realize God doesn't take away your fun? But if you really focus, can you imagine this psalmist? I'm not, you're talking about a passionate preacher, man. All he was doing was singing. Can you imagine if you were the subject of his song? And he said, man, I am so messed up. I'm in a really dry place. But you know what? Every time I get in this dry place and thinking that the circumstances will overwhelm me, I look to you and you are better than life. And in your sanctuary I found such fellowship that my hands go up even in the midst of my struggle and my lips proclaim the beauty of an almighty God. See, that's the reason you say, well, pastor, I wonder why people think God's boring. It's because they are the people that are paying somebody to stand here and tell you about Him. Instead of understanding you can experience Him for yourself. We worship. Don't fall prey to the lie that the satisfying of your soul has to come through external um, uh, situations and things because you'll find out those are the empty, hollow things and the only thing that can truly satisfy the hole that's in your soul is God. We worship because He's worthy. Listen to what heaven declares as his worth. After this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me was like a trumpet and said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven and with one seated on the throne. And he who sat on the throne appeared, had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and pearls of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which is the seven 
spirits of God. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in the front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second like an ox. The third creature was like had the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are, and full of eyes all around within. Day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who, who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him whose lives, who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you the Lord God to receive glory, honor, and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. He is worthy because he is creator of everything and he's worth the trip. Here's the one thing I'm going to preach right here. This, this is going to probably be a little preaching and I got communion today so I got to hurry but just bear with me, will you? We say, oh, pastor, I just wish... I just wish, I just wish we saw miracles like the New Testament. I just wish that I knew God like David. I just wish that I experienced the pages of the Bible. You can, but you're probably praying wrong. See, God's worth the trip. Remember the first thing that was the command to John in this vision? He said, I looked at heaven and I saw it as an open door and I heard a voice say, come up here. And we keep begging God to come where we are. When he's worked the investment of the action that's necessary to get from wherever you are to the invitation to come up here and experience him in a realm that you've never experienced him before. See, he's not only creator of everything. That means that you think you are self-made, but without him... You cannot be self-made because if I robbed you of the air you breathe, I don't care how rich, how poor, how powerful, or how titled you are. If I suck the air out of this room, you die. And God created everything, including the air you breathe. He holds everything together. He's not only creator, but redeemer. John goes on, and I don't have time to quote you all of the scriptures. Just keep reading in Revelations chapter 5, and you'll find that he was worthy like a lamb unto slaughter to take the scrolls and defy the justice that you and I deserved and to redeem us and give us mercy. See, none of us deserve to go to heaven. Can anybody agree by saying amen? No, but we get to go not because of our goodness, but because of his. You're invited to see him in acts and presence of worship. You're invited to close proximity. That's what worship really is all about, is how close you are to him and moments of intimacy with God that allows you. That's why he tore the veil from the top. No man could reach that high. He ripped it from the top to bottom for you to have access to him. He invites us for intimacy. He invites us to experience the God of the universe, both creator and redeemer, and then says, hey, come fellowship with me. I'm going to ask David, wherever he is, to get ready to lead us in worship. 
I see a door opening over there, and I'm not in heaven, I don't think. <laughs> the psalmist says this, You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. See, true, the most important thing, if you tweet anything out, tweet this out, you'll also hear it in core. The most influential fact about worship, it's God-centered. Not you-centered. And we want to make it about us and allow God to join us when it really is about Him and He allows us to join Him. So when it's about us, then it's about what we're singing and how we're singing it and how we're doing it. But I'm here by the end of this whole series. I hope you realize that the songs are not just worship, but your whole entire life is worship. The most effective way for you to, to influence your friends and family is to have a song to sing when you should not be singing. Not when you're in church. To have joyful lips like the psalmist said. To pray and endure during persecution and trials and show the faithfulness of an almighty God when you don't feel like it. Because in the moment that it becomes God-centered, for He is worthy and holy, and out of His love He invites us to intimacy and close proximity, true worship is all about Him. You can come on up here. Now, I am going to quote, while David's getting established, I don't want you to be distracted, so I'll just walk down here with my outline. One of my top five passages of Scripture is the outline or the blueprint for true worship. Now, I want you to think about how you pray and how you extend, because we know Scripture tells us to come before the throne of God with confidence and make our petitions known. But how many of you only pray for something to receive? Our God to work out some problem in your life. Now guys, I'm going to give you a little help. If you are married in this place, I promise you that you will experience the benefit of affirmation of words that could, that could enhance your relationship with your spouse. Like when your wife says, do I look good in this? What she's wanting is not for you to give a yes or no. What she's wanting is to know that there is safety in the foundation that when Michelle says, do I look good in this? That I look back and I say, baby, there's nothing I think that you can put on or take off that will make you less beautiful than what you are right now in my vision. You are my standard of beauty, no matter whether what, you, what dress you buy or what pants you have on or what shirt you're displaying. You can have Outdoor Republic getting ready for the boat. You look beautiful. Miss America quality to me. See, it wasn't about me. It was about her. But my words brought benefit back to me. Can my brothers in here say amen? Oh, man, that's good. That's, that's like marriage counseling right there. I should, I should get double salary today. <laughs> Listen to what the psalmist says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and 
all that is within me. Bless his holy name. It's talking about intimacy between fellowship, between God and man. It isn't that I start with God, bless me, bless me, bless me. Give me, give me, give me its nose. Let me stop long enough to say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all without reservation and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Then verse 2 says, bless the Lord, oh my soul and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all of your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. That covers a lot of stuff. My sins, I'm, I'm going to turn 52. I want my youth renewed like an eagle. Your steadfast love and mercy crowns me. See, my dad, I can't, I, can't even take present, uh, I can't even take credit for this. My dad preached a sermon one time. My dad blessed me when I first went in the vocational ministry. He blessed me with like big old books. That was before computers and stuff. He hand wrote all of his outlines. And he gave me like 10,000, it seemed like, outlines of sermons. Not only did I benefit from them, but I could recall when he preached a lot of them. And I remember him preaching, not in this passage, but preaching the message in his presence as provision. See, we think that God has to run through and go collect like a grocery list everything that we have need of. No, he don't have to collect it. He is. So a lot of times we miss the moment because we won't get out of our seat and come to where he is. And the second thing is if we do get the courage to do that, we get so wrapped up with asking him because of the privilege given to us through Jesus that we forget to bless him first. And what the psalmist is saying is if you'll focus everything in your heart and your gaze upon him, you, the things that you think that are, are the things that you need are secondary because when you get in his presence, he's the answer for everything you really need. And I don't know about you, but we had breakthrough last night at the Pleasant household. Now I've got two granddaughters and one of them is, is small and petite and she's about three months behind. So she, I'll tell you her story three months from now. But my oldest granddaughter got on restriction from the phone because she started throwing fits when you turn the phone off. And so she hadn't had the phone in like a week and a half. And last night, she pushed the right button. I happened to have my phone in my hand. And she come over there and she went, Papa. And she didn't even say it out loud. She just whispers it now, Papa. And it immediately garnered my attention. And if you'll pretend like that's me sitting there and she come up there and she went like this. And I said, what would you like to watch? I was willing to get in trouble. I was willing to pay the price. The point of the message is when we give all to him, don't you think that when he sees the brokenness 
of your position and the very things that you thought you needed but you set aside for your gaze to be upon him and when you lay your head in his chest don't you think he says where's my phone <laughs> of course I'm going to ask for you to bow your heads for just a moment and let's pray Father today I've done my best to teach effectively and I thank you for the grace of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But God, there's a lot of needs in this place today. Maybe people need to get saved and I've had to have the confidence that you are more than enough for them to get saved even though we may not have them raise their hands or come to the front. Some people need healings. Some people need re restoration and wholeness. And so, Father, today, as we worship you, will you just become all of those things to us? And I give you the praise and honor in Jesus' name.